My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. It is a wonderful spring day here in the capital and I'm delighted to say that joining me on today's show to hopefully add even more brightness to affairs is Paul Barthi, Global Head of Data Literacy at Click. And in his role, Paul assumes an integrated business-driven approach to enabling companies to become more data-driven. Um, Paul, very well welcome to yourself today and by all means thank you so much for joining us on the show it's a real pleasure having you oh thanks god i'm really looking forward to our discussion yeah, likewise as well. And we're going to be um, addressing something which is immensely relevant to uh, to business leaders all over the world at the moment, and that's really the uh, the great skills resignation and how that specifically is impacting the UK at this point. Um, given that sort of forty percent of UK employees are actively looking for a new role since the pandemic, which will provide them with sort of better upskilling opportunities, it's fair to say that. The significant scale to this great resignation isn't there, Paul. I mean, I think from your own research, actually, 32% of UK employees have already actually left their role in the last year for those better training opportunities, haven't they? So it is quite a large thing that we're dealing with here. There's really quite a disruption going on, isn't it? There's no question. And obviously, this stems from the impact of a pandemic, which not only affected people's jobs, how they worked, where they can work, if they work. Uh, as well as their lives. And I think it's uh, it had some folks taking time to take stock in their lives and decide, well, what is it about my work and my career that are important to me? And, and, and how do I want to look towards the future? So I think it's been a time for some reflection. And in that, people are looking around and saying, well, is this really where I should be? And am I doing the kind of work and pursuing the kind of career and professional growth that, that I was looking for? Yeah, and the great resignation as well, I think it's fair to say it's been driven by both sort of the employee side and also the employer side, isn't it? Because there are those workers out there that sort of are feeling that it's the right time for a change to move into a new industry, or they're maybe a bit concerned that their own sort of skill set isn't sufficient, so they want to seek out better training opportunities. And then at the other hand, you've got business leaders, the employer side, and they maybe are a little bit hesitant to sort of invest in training because obviously it costs money to them to actually upskill their workforces and they're obviously losing out for not being able to do that. I agree. I think, you know, we, we um, you know, recently completed a, a global survey of 1,200 executives, 6,000 employees, all industries, all levels uh, of, uh, of jobs. Um, and, and really the results were pretty interesting because we did get those distinct voices of what employers are concerned about and what the employees are looking for. Um, and, and you see this dislocation in that number of, of uh, employees saying not only have 32% of UK employees change jobs to upskill or find better opportunities where they could upskill, um, uh, 40% said they would, that, that even if they're in their job, they're looking around. So that's a really... Um, significant portion of the workforce uh, that, it, that is looking at that. And I think, you know, when you, when you take that into pieces and, and, and try to understand the underpinnings, uh, our survey revealed a few themes. One is there's a very big distinction between expectations of employers and the readiness that employees feel. So employers and, and senior management in general said, look, going forward, roughly 90% 
of our employees are expected to be able to explain their decisions or their rationale and their plans with data. And, and you know, as Global Head of Data Literacy or Click, we're always focused on all these roles that are going to be new to data, as well as experienced in, in deep data science skill sets. We're looking at employees who are saying, you know, I, I, I work in HR, but I, I, now I have to use dashboards. And now, you know, we, we, we need to track dozens of different KPIs uh, on how our business is doing, how ready we are for the next wave of growth as a company, um, how we handle disruptions like COVID. And, and many of these employees haven't worked with data before. So this, this term data literacy, in my view, is very much focused on a new class of workers a new set of workers who have in the past done their jobs based on experience, based on understanding processes, based on being able to be very strong professionals, but not necessarily having to do analytics to verify and validate the effects of their, their actions um, or their, their overall effectiveness on the business. So, so it's a new kind of skill set that's coming in. And uh, what we learned is employee, employees recognize that that's what employers are looking for. They're looking for a data literate workforce. They're looking for people who know how to do these things. Um, but they're feeling a lot of uh, a big gap in what the employers are providing. Mm. And what we found in our survey was that a lot of employers were spending time at, uh, providing skills training to a relatively small group of specialists. So think about the data specialists in a group or your analytics team or your data team in IT, they're getting training. But the reality is that there's a group about five times bigger than that that needs basic training, not massive training, but basic training to keep up and to be relevant in their jobs. And that's really where the percentages go up in terms of the workforce saying, hey, you know, what are we doing uh, and what can we do to be ready for the next generation of jobs? Exactly right, and those concerns are perfectly valid, aren't they, when you think that if that huge group of people that you talk about isn't essentially given that basic training that they need, when the next sort of wave of automation comes along, I mean, they're going to be the first on the chopping block, aren't they? So they're right to want to obviously upskill and be ready for that next generation of roles, as you say there. I'm really I'm really glad you brought that up, because I think, you know, this, this movement towards um, analytics, intelligence, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and the digital transformation that have taken place over the last 10 years is making uh, modern businesses more and more reliant on the ability to make good decisions using data. And I think a lot of folks are thinking, well, my job is going to be replaced by a robot or be replaced by um, an artificial intelligence uh, bot. But in reality, the future here, we're seeing this in our studies and elsewhere, is going to be the power of human-machine collaboration. And so machines are going to discover things. Machines are going to be able to see data patterns or disruptions or issues and, and surface them immediately, real time. And what we call that is active intelligence. There's going to need to be a, be a need and an opportunity for businesses to see things and recognize patterns that they hadn't in the past, except for looking looking historically, looking at an old report and saying, hey, there's this trend, but that was six months after it happened. Now that's moving up more to real time. So in that context, there's still a very, very important need for human judgment and human intelligence in the workforce. 
you know, a customer who's responding to an issue in, you know, on in a call center, that that call center service agent needs to understand the context of the situation, what that customer might be experiencing, and apply some judgment as to the ways to respond, escalate, et cetera, with that, with that uh, situation. So what's interesting there is the triggers may be coming from a machine or an AI engine, but the judgment and the decisions are still going to be in human hands for the foreseeable future. And it means that those workers need to be comfortable understanding the outputs of analytics, even if they're coming from machines, even if they didn't do them themselves. So some of these concepts about an outlier or concepts like what is a noise, signal and noise in a, in a data set, these are very basic, basic concepts about patterns in data and how reliable and trustworthy it is. And what we're just seeing is even as we move towards an automated future, it's not that everyone needs to be an expert, but they need to be able to work with these new intelligent devices. And that, that's, that's the gap that we think needs to be filled um, regarding data literacy. Mm, absolutely right. And um, while we're talking about sort of the uh, the digital revolution as well that's sort of taken place during COVID, um, I suppose we should sort of hone in a little bit on sort of flexible working practices that have come about as a necessity during the pandemic, but now are favourable to quite a lot of people. And do you think that this is something as well that's also kind of driving that sort of great skills resignation in the sense that some people are actually looking for sort of um, opportunities where they'll be able to work more flexibly for various reasons because they value that kind of work-life balance a lot more in the post-pandemic era? Yeah, this, it's a really great question, and we've, we've seen a range of these uh, 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 desires amongst even our own workforce at Click. Um, I will say Click's been a pioneer, and we're, we benefit from being in a technology industry where a lot of our work in our global workforce gets done through distributed teams. We're not all in one office to get anything done. We don't have to run a manufacturing facility with workers assembling parts uh, in, in a physical location. But even in a software business, collaboration is key. Now, we've had this uh, benefit of having been in this um, uh, in global environment with a, with a distributed workforce for years. For, for well over a decade, we've been leveraging tools like uh, online meetings and uh, instant messaging and, and the whole type of ways in which knowledge workers can communicate, collaborate, make decisions quickly with each other, even if they're on different continents. So um, we've had some experience there and that, that's been valuable because it meant that it wasn't um, completely new to us when the pandemic forced people to start working from home. Uh, as people have done that, we've noticed even in our own workforce, this you know, personalization or bifurcation of the workforce into some workers who love working from home, they hated their long commutes. Uh, even you mentioned that this morning as we were getting on and enjoying yeah, the ability to choose not to commute, right? And um, I will say I enjoy my commute in Boston a little bit more because it's shorter because there's fewer cars on the road. Um, but I will say that uh, some people prefer the office. Some people prefer the home environment. Everyone prefers the choice. And I think it goes along with the, the workforce, and in particular, the new generation in the workforce wants to be given the opportunity to, to get their jobs done and be responsible and effective and productive 
but give themselves some flexibility in terms of how and when they do it. And, and you know, work-life balance is a driver here, um, but I'd also say there's, a, there's kind of also a, a, a focus on developing those self-sufficiency skills, the skills that say, I can make decisions, I can take on more responsibility, um, and therefore my need to be in a prescriptive location or only do one part of a process step is something that's being challenged, and, and we welcome that. We like having employees who want to take on that responsibility and, and make choices about how they structure their work and, and personal life balance and, and bring that to the fore. And obviously, we've seen technologies helping um, in this with, with, you know, technologies like you and I are using right now for this podcast that are bringing us together in real time, but we're distributed. So there's some of those technologies. The one area in which I'd say there's some catch-up to do on the company side is empowering uh, their workforce with tools and data for self-sufficient decision-making. In many cases, there's an older school kind of um, approach to uh, who owns the analytics and data, and do you have to be a specialized programmer to be able to do your job and use data in your decision-making? And that's transforming and leading companies to having capabilities like a self-service catalog of data that every worker can shop and they can see data that's appropriate to their roles and and to help them make their own decisions without having to go ask a specialist, without having to make a request to IT and wait for a report. People are having analytics tools, dashboards on their desktops um, and and data on their desktops to to ask a question and then dive in and explore data on their own. And that, that again, is this, is this enabler because if you have the skills and then you have these tools available and you have them available in the cloud, well, all of a sudden the location of your workforce becomes less relevant and the access to that shared data, collaboration tools and the like are the ones that really matter. Yeah, it gives your workforce that autonomy, doesn't it, to make their own decisions. I think that's very, very right indeed. And uh, aside from sort of some of the anxieties that we talked about that the great resignation is causing on both the sort of employee and the employer side, that's really sort of driving um, this uh, this great skills resignation. If uh, there are a lot of long-standing skill shortages in various industries, and we do see that quite often in the UK. So, if say government, industry, and also education actually responds to this phase appropriately. Could we sort of use this great skills resignation as a watershed moment, given that we're sort of seeing a lot of people moving from one industry into another to really sort of plug some of those long-standing skills gaps that we've seen? I think that's a, that's a great question. And um, I, I think the, the, the answer is there's a tremendous opportunity. And the opportunity is twofold. One is I think it's clear what kinds of skills are needed to be acquired for the next generation of of, of workforce. Uh, They are analytical skills. They're just going back to critical thinking, right? Not just analytical and math skills, but the ability to ask a question and say, does this make sense? How does this work? What's the underlying cause? And and so there's there's a core set of skills there that, you know, what I is thankfully it's not two years of a master's degree to acquire. And in fact, when we train our customers on data literacy, 
it's in 30 and 40 minute online courses, self-paced, that can be completed over a period of eight weeks. But it doesn't doesn't take uh, you know a full year of training to upskill to some of these critical thinking and understanding how to apply analytics to your job. So so there's a there's a lowering the bar of getting that upskilling happening. And concurrently, we're having as part of the resignation, I think some uh, some uh, space opening up. And whether that's because people working from home, if they're taking that hour of commute out of their day and they're applying it to online education, there's bandwidth for them to learn and to fit it into their jobs. And the one thing I will say about the upskilling is I think it's all, there's always a great place for academics and for professional training in which you dedicate or go full-time into learning those skills. But increasingly, employees have to do this while they're on the job. They have to, you know, balance out taking classes at night or taking an hour or two a week to strengthen their own skills. Um, uh, and, and I think employers are recognizing that, oh, this isn't a one-time skill building. In fact, the analytical and data space is evolving so quickly that there's a view that this needs to be continuous education. That part of the benefits of working for a firm is they offer uh, a range of skill development, professional development resources throughout your career. So even here at Click, we offer um, access to an online business school program, um, uh, which it covers business school courses from the leading universities around the country, around the world, in fact, um, as well as specialized, personalized, live uh, leadership training courses. Um, we have diversity and equity um, forums. There's, there's a range of areas in which you can grow both personally and professionally. Uh, we also have an online learning platform that has hundreds of classes that you can take to learn about how to, everything from how to use products to how to, how to manage your workforce. So there's a, there's a, I think an investment that needs to be made, and thankfully I think we make it, that in the new work environment, upskilling is part and parcel of your monthly work, and employers should invest a bit more in it, but the investment is not as high as sending employees away for months or hiring live instructors to come in every, you know, for weeks on end to try and train and upskill the workforce. It can be done in tandem with uh, actual workday. So if we were to sort of make a broad recommendation as to what business leaders need to do to sort of reduce the impact of the great resignation within their own firms, I think it's basically to kind of approach it with the stamp from the standpoint of it's a continuous learning process. It's not just going and sending your employees on like a one-year course or something and then they come out the finished product because they're never a finished product, are they? We're constantly in a state of flux, in a state of development, and you've got to invest in continuous training. That is what you have to do, isn't it? That's right. And I, I like to align. So, so first of all, I'd like to start with what is the goal of upskilling? And the goal of upskilling is to change behavior after you have gained the new skill. So in the case of data literacy, we want to see an increase in data-driven decisions, in the use of analytics, in the application of insights and data and analytical tools in our work on a day-to-day basis, and in particular around making very good decisions in, in a business context. And so it's not the training itself that, the, that in the certificate that is the goal. The goal is to change the behavior. 
And, uh, you know, Gardner actually has a really good model about how a company can measure this because it takes a while to see a behavior change. And even after the behavior change, it takes some time before you see the ROI. So they, they, they kind of map out a model in which you measure the effectiveness of the training, the effectiveness of the, the prevalence of data-driven decision-making, and then the specifics of an ROI. And what companies are really good at is measuring things in, you know, calendar, yes, but more around projects. So what we're seeing increasingly is that when companies are creating a digital transformation initiative, right, where they're trying to digitize their supply chain management or digitize their marketing, and, and that doesn't mean go entirely online. It just means that we're going to automate as much as we can, and we're going to track and measure all the steps in our processes. Well, part of that is now getting budgeted for upskilling and training the workforce in those functional areas that are going to be affected. And so if in marketing there were one or two analysts before, well, now everyone in the marketing team needs to understand things, you know, a statistical concept called, you know, like Lyft, which is how much better did our marketing campaign do because we applied an analytical or machine learning model to our, our targeting and our messaging. So, so when you are upskilling this workforce, it's in the context of people's jobs, not an abstract kind of education that is, is broad-based to try and, and uh, cover a lot of materials. And most businesses can get behind that. And, and as I said before, I really think businesses need to look at the, um, the cost-benefit of, of resources like online education, um, like building out a learning environment. And, um, and HR is a real leader in this or can be a real leader in that. And, and that's one thing that I, I really like about Click is that our HR department is very uh, tuned in to skill development and employee development. And behind the scenes, they have dozens of KPIs to see what's working, what's not. So we offer these business school courses, but how many people take them? If they take them, does that lead to retention or, God forbid, attrition? Do they go off and leave? And if so, why? And do we have surveys and we're recognizing? And fortunately, all this investment has actually led to some really good um, increases in scores in terms of overall um, enjoyment at the company, the potential for career growth. And so I just know personally that other companies can do this as well if they invest similarly. Yeah, and like I say, hopefully many firms um, and business leaders that might be tuning into this may well be considering doing just that as a result of it because it is incredibly important to sort of invest into the workforce to make sure they're fit for that workplace of the uh, the future. And Click, of course, we talked a lot about how the business has really kind of taken a lead on this, Paul, but um, over the next sort of 12 months, as you sort of really bid to kind of build on that, um, what are some of the, uh, the, the real things that you're going to be uh, sort of focusing on from uh, from that point of view, do you feel? Yeah, I'd say, you know, one of the things that's been helpful to me in my role is working closely with our customers who are recognizing that data literacy is necessary for them to continue to grow and be successful as firms moving forward. And and working with them in rolling out a program um, that uh, helps with um, uh, or helps them both upskill their, their employee base, but look at how do I scale this? How do I get from um, upskilling a few dozen of my employees to thousands of employees? And, and so what we've learned, I will say this, over you know, working in data literacy for the past five years and, and developing one of the first data literacy certification exams and curricula 
is that the best learning happens in groups, um, and it happens in building out a platform in which companies can kind of insource their training and development programs. So just to, to, to make it clear here, we think that you can learn data literacy skills, as I said, in a combination of online and instructor-led um, um, sessions over the course of about eight weeks. But what we found was that if you build in a kind of traditional calendar structure and you recruit a class of learners and just think about 25 learners at the same time, different functions, different jobs, different roles in the company, all learning data literacy skills at the same time, you start to build the this community and this, this, the, the important aspect of analytics and, and literacy, which is collaboration and communication skills. So you, you, you need to learn how to be a good analyst on your own, but to be effective in a company, you need to be able to explain what you found to others, ask others, understand how to ask a good question, a good business requirement for an insight that you're looking for, work with someone who's more experienced with you, and so a class environment is good because you start getting those discussions going. You start getting an interaction. And those can happen online in online forums, but they also should happen in our, we really promote the idea of an hour a week during these eight-week periods having a class live um, session. And that can be led by an expert, but increasingly we're also saying make sure your internal experts the people who know about your data warehouse or your analytics tools and kind of your infrastructure and where data comes from in your business, speak directly to their peers. And, and it's a great way to start getting this relationship between IT and business users flowing. And, and one thing we've instituted is at the end of that eight weeks, having the business users in the class stand up and give a 10 minute presentation on a business problem or business question, they've answered or analyzed, maybe they didn't even answer it yet, using data literacy techniques that they've learned. And so you get that application, but more importantly, they start to exercise a skill called data storytelling, and they get feedback and questions from the audience, and you're starting to get that dialogue that I think ultimately you want in a future workforce, which is you have a meeting, someone presents something that they found or a suggestion, a recommendation, and there's a back and forth. Well, what, what's the data say about that? Huh, that's interesting. Well, what does that mean for me? And, and that is actually how you start to build ultimately what's important to the data literate culture, the culture in which discussions about data are as commonplace as discussions about money or about sales or about efficiencies, all the things we like to talk about, but um, that, that, that just becomes part of the of the conversational language of running your business. Exactly right, and it's these discussions taking place, isn't it, that sharing of ideas, that discussing of data, as well as the other aspects. It's this that really drives innovation, isn't it? So it shows just how important that is, doesn't it? Right, right. And, I think, you know, I think it's interesting because sometimes you'll hear, uh, you know, public figures and others say, well, I'm not a scientist or I'm not, you know, and any time people are excusing themselves from looking at data themselves, uh, I, I think they're shortchanging the conversation. They're not going deeply enough to say, well, you know, we're seeing something here that it looks like it's a potential conflict, but maybe if we go down to the root cause, we can come up with a solution that meets all of our needs, you know, that is both affordable and high impact on the, on the other side. So 
I just think it's important to empower people to, like we like to say, challenge the data. Does this, does this make sense? Is this, what data would tell me whether I'm on the right track or not? Am I, am I actually looking for things that are confirming what I already believe? Or am I looking for things that would challenge me? And, and it is a mindset that I think can be taught. And, and as humans, it's not a natural behavior of ours. We tend to like to see patterns where there aren't patterns. And we like to find things that reinforce what we already believe. But in a healthy company that's using data um, effectively, you're open to all sorts of input. And you try to, as my colleague uh, Kevin Hannigan, the chief learning officer here, says, unlearn certain things that you take for granted. Mm. Yeah, absolutely right. And it's, it's about, isn't it, sort of where there are anomalies in data especially. Don't shy away from that. Don't try and obviously justify why that anomaly is there. Really go and sort of exercise your curiosity. Go and investigate it because that's what sort of being innovative is all about, isn't it? It is, and, and we have to be honest about that. Um, one of the quotes in the report is that a data literate company doesn't always side um, or doesn't always take on the opinion of the highest paid person in the meeting, right? That, that there are social forces in play that can bias our decision-making, bias our analysis, close down discussions, because you don't want to be the person that says, well, wait a minute, you know, th- you know these expectations were not reasonable when we set out to hit this deadline, and now we've missed the deadline, and instead of assigning blame, let's figure out what the root cause was. What did we miss? that we won't miss next time. And it means an openness and an empowerment at many levels in the company, not just at, at, a, uh, you know, at, at your own level with your peers, but in the, in an ability to speak at the table and have influence. And, and that's one of the other things I found, was, which was in the survey, that this interest in upskilling is not just to keep your job. It's really to advance and have power. Uh, and what we've seen at our customers and in our own company is that uh, data literate employees come into a meeting with information and insights because they've really looked at a problem, have an equal voice at the table with executives or managers who are one or two levels up from them because they have facts, because they're not, they're not being uh, pigeonholed into just their area of expertise, and it allows them to um, uh, increase their sphere of influence, right? That they can come into a conversation, and if they do this a few times, all of a sudden there's an expectation. You will start to see managers saying, hey, let's make sure Jane comes to the next meeting because she really understands this data, really understands this part of our business. And it's a way of of kind of a soft promotion, if you will, Mm. based on competency, based on skills, based on knowledge, healthy for the company and it's inspiring and it's a great opportunity for employees just proves doesn't it that information truly is power and obviously despite um, yourselves at click having predicted that data literacy rightfully so given everything that we've discussed will be the most in-demand skill by the year 2030 as early as that just 13% of UK employees surveyed, you found, are actually fully confident in data literacy. So certainly on this side of the Atlantic, it seems that we've got a real far way to uh, to go on that front. And hopefully that will certainly uh, prove to be the case. Exactly. And, and I do want to correct you, though. We didn't predict that it would be the most in-demand skill when we started this 40 years ago. Um, we noticed that mm. our customers 
were not adopting the analytics tools and the technologies they had bought from us as fast as they thought they would. So they bought, you know, uh, enough for you know 10,000 users and maybe only 8,000 or 5,000 were actually using it. And when we investigated why it wasn't more broadly, being more broadly uh, used, it wasn't that it wasn't applicable or some other technology was better. So none of the technologies answered the questions of how do I understand this data? How should I break this down into an analytical problem? And then a lot of the users that they were expecting to use it didn't have the training or the expertise, and not even expertise, just the knowledge of um, analytical decision-making and data-driven decision-making. And so that's where we saw a, a need in the, in the market broadly for this kind of training. And it's why we partnered with a, a consortium of other businesses, well-known names uh, in both the consulting and education and technology fields, to create the data literacy project which is available for you all to, to go see data literacy, the data literacy project.org mm. where there's just an enormous amount of resources we've pulled together. And by the way, just making sure this is our curriculum from click as well as the curriculum on, on data literacy.org is uh, entirely vendor agnostic. So you could use any BI tool, any analytics tool, you can use Excel to do analysis with the techniques we teach. So this is not about promoting our products. It was that there's a big gap here of people who should be using our products to make better decisions. And so um, we invested in that and, um, you know, we have a product, we have courses we offer our customers directly and our customers in many cases are not even click product customers. They are just companies that need to improve data literacy and they'll, they'll work with us to, build a, a course internally, and then they can also get resources off the dataliteracyproject.org. That's fantastic. And I'd urge anybody tuning into this, if you haven't already, to really look hard at this because data literacy is going to be so, so very important in the uh, the years to come. And I do in future as well, Paul, I wish you all the luck in the world in a real healthy take-up of this as well because it is so indeed vital to progress in the uh, the workplace, progress in industry. And, you know, I think as we start to kind of see how that take-up starts to develop and how data literacy, the state of it, really starts to really build in the workplace over the next few years. I mean, I'd love the opportunity to even welcome you back onto the program and catch up on sort of how it's getting along and how we're sort of seeing that it's really taking pride of place in the workplace because, as we've seen, not a lot of people um, in the UK are comfortable with that skill set and I'd certainly like to see that levelled up over the uh, the next few years for certain. Well, thank you. Um, I certainly would welcome the opportunity to come back and, and chat. I'll just leave you with a quote from the, the um, report, our global survey, which was that most executives expect data literacy and the ability to work with data to be as prevalent as using a computer in your job is today. That's how ubiquitous we're believing these skills need to be. And we're pretty far from that. So looking forward to working on this journey. Absolutely, that's going to be the next big advancement, isn't it? Um, thanks again uh, for joining us, Paul, and uh, do by all means take care and stay safe with all still going on as well. All right, thank you, Scott. Have a great day. It was a real pleasure welcoming Paul Barth, Global Head of Data Literacy at Click, onto today's program to discuss what is a very topical issue in today's workplace. And hopefully we do start to see more firms, more workforces in the UK really kind of embrace
embrace that need for data literacy moving forward because it is so pivotal indeed to progress and to innovation. Um, speaking of innovation, if you have been listening today and you have your own story of innovation and success to share with us here at the Leaders Council from your own business or your own organisation, then we want to hear from you. So why not also apply to be on the Leaders Council podcast via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Until next time, I've been your host, Scott Chaloner. Take care and goodbye.